King Solomon, David's son. And David was not able to build the temple because he was a man of, of, of warfare, a man who had shed a lot of blood. But that job fell to his son Solomon. Solomon did a lot of great things. But you'll find in 1 Kings chapter 12 where Solomon had just passed away at the end of chapter 11. And uh, as was the custom, one of his sons took over the reign of Israel in his stead. The particular son's name was Rehoboam that took the throne and he was almost immediately confronted with his first kingly royal decision that he would have to make. Solomon had been a builder and he had worked the, the people very hard. They had taken over several other lands and those people were forced to do a lot of labor in order to build what Solomon had desired and had the wisdom to build. Um, they had for 20 years built walls and they had fortified cities and they had erected a tabernacle to the Lord that, that David was not allowed to build but his son Solomon uh, took on the architecture design and construction of that great tabernacle and then a, a home for Solomon himself and it wasn't just one home or one tabernacle it was cities that were being fortified by by these people who had worked for 20 years and Rehoboam uh, for lack of a better words walked into a ready-made kingdom his father had established everything had done everything well the house built the tabernacle had been built the cities had been fortified the walls had been shored up the gates were secure everything was operational and in order Rehoboam steps into uh, the throne and the people that had been working so hard for 20 years they came to him with a request and they they simply ask that he lighten their workload a little bit I mean after 20 years of very intense hard labor Maybe that would be a desire that, that they might have, and it was a desire that they had for this new ruler, this new king, to give them a break. And that's what they simply, in their own, in my, my words, that's what they were asking him. Give us a break. Lighten up a bit. We've been working hard for two decades. I think about a king's first decision, uh, that it can be a very important thing. You said protocols in place you uh, precedences are set and Rehoboam went to the to the elders who had been his father's advisors before he answered the people and he said what do you gentlemen think that I ought to do now, I think that was a very wise first move on Rehoboam's part go to his father who had been a very successful king everybody had come from all over the world to see what his father had built and he had done it all with these men as his advisors. So Rehoboam makes a very wise decision. He goes to these elders and he asks him, what do you think uh, I ought to say to these people? Should I lighten up on them? And they came back with this answer. They, they told him, if you will lighten their workload, they will serve you forever. They'll be loyal to you from this day on. But Rehoboam didn't take what they had to say as his elders and go back to the people and tell them what the elders told him to say. Instead of listening to the sage, wise elders, he instead chose to go to those who were his own age, those the Bible said he had grown up with, his buddies. Well, we graduated together. I've known them since we were running around in the royal palace front yard and, and playing together. And these were his groupies, his homies, his, his peers, his friends. So he goes to them and he says, I've heard what these old guys have to say about what I should do, but what do you guys think I ought to do? You know, peer pressure is a very powerful thing. Don't tell me it's not. If even our elders, they, they, they can remember back and go back to a time where if we, if we think back hard enough, we can remember what it felt like to have that peer pressure trying to form us and mold us and make us do whatever that the rest of the world wanted us to do. It's a powerful thing. Here he is. He's king. It's his decision. He can make the choice. 
but you see very quickly how he's going to be influenced because his friends tell him don't you tell them what those old guys said don't lighten up you tell them if you think my father was hard on you you've not seen anything yet Rehoboam goes back and he takes the counsel of his friends the young men that are around him the people that he's grown up with and he tells the workers he says you think my father was hard I'm going to make it much harder than he ever made it on you and that one decision almost cost him his life it is a very foolish person who will not heed the voice of those who have lived life and seen battle if you were to look back on those men that stood next to Solomon as they counseled him and asked them if he had taken the time to ask them some of the things that they had seen and some of the things that they had gone through, maybe he would understand why they made the decisions that they made. Maybe they saw some things that he as a young man couldn't see. Maybe they had made the mistake that he was about to make and understood the choice that what, of what he was going to do and how detrimental it was going to be. Tonight is an important night and I hope very informative lesson not just for the young that are among us but for us all. Uh, sometimes we see our elders and all we see are people that have been living for God as long as we've known them. Um, one, of, one of the folks that I, I've asked to speak to us tonight, Sister Joanne Bishop, from, from a very young age, she has never changed. She has lived for, I've never known anything but the Holy Ghost filled Joanne Carter up to a couple years ago now, Bishop. <laughs> and she's been the same, steadfast, solid, stable, but there are stories that I've never seen. And some of the others that are here tonight, I've asked them to simply come and, and talk to us tonight and tell us not just not just all of the, the wonderful things, but to take about 10, 12 minutes apiece, to take just a little bit of time and tell you maybe about some of the struggles that, that they faced and how God brought them through, maybe some miracles in their life, maybe some, some hardship, maybe some things that left them wondering, God, where are you in all this? And yet they kept on pressing forward, and they are here today as pillars and rocks for us to have stability in this church. I am so thankful for our elders at Landmark Apostolic Church. Would you give them all a hand clap just to honor them tonight? Amen. And so without belaboring it any further, I want us to hear from, from some of our elders tonight. And I want you to know that it is worth staying in the race. And it's worth fighting the good fight even when it's difficult. Amen. I'm going to ask uh, Brother or Sister Price, either one of them, I'm going to ask the Prices to go first. And uh, if they would just, whichever one, Sister Price, God bless her one more time. Would you just give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight and give Sister Price your undivided attention. God bless you, Sister Price. Several months ago, I feel like God laid this on my heart to talk to the young people. The, the elders are not going to be here forever. And the things we've experienced, uh, we want to share with you. We want you to, to grow. And I wanted to tell you, while you're young, fast, when you can fast, and sometimes fast those electronics for a day, and pray, and listen to God. He will talk to you in a still, small voice. And uh, I just want to tell you a few of the things that uh, God has done for me through prayer. You know, when we sing, he is, we're a friend of God, that's true. You talk to him, and he'll talk to you. But um, I'm, I'm just going to use this example. When I was young, 23, young, <laughs> uh, my stepfather, he had black lung. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a lung disease. And at 10.30 at night, I had two kids in bed, and I was washing dishes. 
and I was singing, you must be born of the water and the spirit or you cannot see the kingdom of God. And while I was singing that, God put a burden on my heart to go pray for my stepfather. So I went in the living room and I, I prayed for him. I didn't know how to pray. I just prayed and let the spirit lead me. And I started praying and I started rebuking the death angel. I've never done that since, never done that. But that night I was rebuking the death angel for him. And I wanted to call, it was 10.30 night and I wanted to call, but they went to bed at eight o'clock, truth. And <laughs> so I didn't, but the next morning when I called, uh, my mother told me, she said, I had to take your stepdad to the hospital last night at 10.30. He uh, has double pneumonia, and she said, I thought I was going to lose him before I could get him over there. But she got him over there and got him stabled. But, you know, I'm not saying, but what if I hadn't yielded to what God had said to go pray? And what if I hadn't tried rebuking the death angel? You know, you never know what's going to happen. If God puts somebody on your heart to, to pray for, pray for him, because it's very important. And... Um, I've got another example. I don't want to take up too much time. But when my son went to college, one evening, I don't know what I was doing, just doing something, and I started getting a burden to pray for him. And when I prayed for him, I didn't even know what to pray for. I just prayed. I prayed in tongues. I worshipped until I felt the burden lift. And, of course, the next morning he calls me and he says, Mom, you never guessed what happened last night. I'm saying, What? <laughs> And he said, well, last night there, we were playing games with uh, two other college students in their apartment. And he said, a policeman knocked on my door. And he said, I just want to warn you, keep your patio windows shut, keep your curtains shut, because I just chased off a man outside your window with a gun. So, you, you know, you never know. It's, it's, you just got to listen to God and don't, please, Please don't get so busy with life that you don't have time to slow down and, and give God an hour once in a while to talk to you. And uh, like I said, it's not all good. But my son James, <clears throat> when he was a baby, about 18 months old, uh, we had taken him to the hospital. He had a high fever. It was 105. And they call that a killing fever because it's so high it can damage your brain. And it was for several days. And uh, I was in the hospital room with him, and of course. But, you know, God speaks to you, but so does the devil. He'll talk to you. And when I was in that hospital room with, with him, I walked over to the hospital window, and I just looked out, and the devil sidled right up beside me. And he said, if this baby dies, you'll quit. He didn't have to tell me quit what. I knew. He said, you quit church. And I had to think about it. What would I do? Because it was a possibility he might die. And I, pretty soon I said, no, no, I won't. And he left. Because if you resist the devil, he will get away from you. He doesn't want to waste his time on you. He just, you know, he's gone. But if he keeps coming back and talking to you, you haven't got a made-up mind. So, but anyway, with the hospital story, I uh, was about to wrestle a nurse to the floor. <laughs> she came in every hour to take his temperature, and she took the temperature, and I said, well, what is it? And she said, well, this thermometer's broke. She threw it away. I got to go get another one. So she went and got another thermometer, and she come back, and she took his temperature, and I said, what is it? And she said, I'm not allowed to tell you. And I said, I'll go buy one and do it myself. <laughs> and and she, so she looked at me because she knew she was in trouble, and she just laid it carefully down the table. And I read it, and it was 97.6, one degree below normal, and that was because they had him in a cooling tent to cool him off. And I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if when I was standing at that window, and the devil said, if this baby dies, you'll quit. And I said, no, I won't. Maybe that's exactly the moment his temperature broke. <laughs> <laughs>
because they took it every hour, every hour. But I just really want you to encourage you to get closer to God in your youth. You can, and two, I wanted to ask you that I've seen you praying one for another, and that's great. You know, God tells you to go pray for one of your peers, and you do. But some night, God might ask you to go pray for somebody else. And if he tells you to go pray for me, come pray for me, because he's given you something that maybe I need, and maybe I don't even know it. But if he impresses you to do that, just please, lay it on me. (laughs) uh, And um, God talks to you. He can talk to you in many ways. He can talk to you in dreams. And what, what I'm doing is I want to, I said that scripture, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to realize that there is a lot of exciting things out there that God will do for you. He'll talk to you in dreams. One time we had, we were waiting to, to get a new pastor to church, and we had, I had my heart set on a certain one. And I had a dream, and uh, it wasn't to be. In my dream, the presbyter came, and he said, bad news, brother so-and-so called right before I left, everything. And I went to church that Wednesday night, and he got up and he said exactly what was in my dream. So I wasn't heartbroken. I knew it was the will of God. But, you know, he don't want you to question him on some of the things he does. And uh, two more things. (laughs) Two more things. I'm trying to hurry. But, uh, and even God will speak to you in your mind's eye. When my husband lost his job at the mines, he went in to get some of his tools and stuff. And I stayed in the car. And when I stayed in the car, I was just looking out over the lot. And in my mind's eye, I saw grass and weeds growing up. And he came out, and I asked him, I said, did you get everything you wanted out of there? And he said, no, I'll get it when I go back. I said, you're not going back. And it took nine months. Uh, nine months later, he thought he was going back. They had a contract signed, and some, help me out here, what was it? Prep plant burnt, and they had to pick a mine to, to, to work. There was two mines, and he said, they won't take my mine. It's the top producing mine in the state. Well, that's exactly why they closed it, because it was the top producing mine in the state. So nine months after I said that, it happened. And the last thing I want to say, and I want to thank God for, I thank God for everything, but uh, Cody, I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't know where you're at. (laughs) Right there. And Yeah, you're right there. (laughs) He's always back there in that car, and I don't see that well anymore. But um, I was sitting, and I'd finished praying. I was just sitting in my rocking chair at home, and all of a sudden, I, I don't know, I believe angels are ministering spirits. They come and they minister to you. And I was just sitting there, and all of a sudden, it just I'd, I'd say an angel came into the room and touched my mind and said, Cody's going to receive the Holy Ghost at the youth convention this year. And I was so shocked, I repeated it. I said, Cody's going to receive the you know, Holy Ghost at youth convention this year. And, uh, you know, the devil tells you, Shut up, don't say nothing. If it don't happen, you don't, don't, don't do that. But then I had to tell somebody, so I called Sister Rice and I told her. And she said that she had talked to uh, Cody, that's the name, Cody, <laughs> uh, a few weeks before when they were working together. She felt impressed to turn to him and say, Cody, you're going to get the Holy Ghost at youth convention this year. So, hey, that's great. And then Wednesday night, I came to, to church, and Sister Becca, back there, I know you had a what-if moment, because she calls me Grandma, and she said, Grandma, she stopped me as I was coming in, and I know she started to say, Cody's going to get the Holy Ghost, but then she got to thinking, what if he's not even going? And uh, she asked me, she said, is he going? And I said, yes, he's going. And she said, Cody's going to get the Holy Ghost at youth convention this year. And then 
the last service, the last hour, the last minute. <laughs> but he got the Holy Ghost at youth convention. <laughs> And it was awesome when he got it. He was uh, definitely uh, making us wait to the very tail end. Brother Price, would you come? Come on. I'm not going to take any time in between these. These are too, too good tonight. Did you enjoy that tonight? Amen. Brother you, Price. You got the best. But you got the best now for the worst. I want the youth to look at each other and say, we are the church of the future. Because that's what you are. That's what you are. You're the ones that's going to carry on with the adults leave. Amen. And it's, it's very important, very important. I was just going to tell a few things that, uh, that happened to me, and I can remember uh, I've talked to a lot of women that have died of colon cancer. And I thank God that when my wife had it, they found it early enough to where she, she didn't have to take any chemo and surgery. And Brother and Sister Graham sang a song. And we was in the hospital 12 days. And Brother and Sister Graham sang a song, he'll take you through the fire. He said he didn't promise that he wouldn't, you know, that you wouldn't go through trials. But when you do, he's going to be there to take you through the trials. And I know that uh, being a young folk, I was one time young. And I know that in school, you faced a lot of trials. A lot of trials. A lot of people just say, oh, you're dumb for going to church. There's nothing there. That's a life in the pits of hell. Because church is where you need to be. Because God will bless you. He's blessed me so many times I can't even, I can't even count. Amen. I can remember this earlier this year, I think it was, that uh, it's either, I don't know, my mind's gone. But it's either earlier this year or the latter part of last year that I went out to, for a simple x-ray. They, and when you work in the coal mines, there's what they call a, a lung disease. They call it black lung. And every once in a while, you, you get a big check if you're lucky, testing one. I call that lucky or not, you know, but you can't say hey, a big check. So I went out there for the x-ray, and they said, uh, Mr. Price said, uh, you don't have black lung. And I thought, that's good. That's good. That's good. I didn't want black lung. And, but they said, you do have an aneurysm. Now, does anybody know what an aneurysm is? They bought out a thing that looked like a garden hose. They sent me to a vascular surgeon, and they bought a thing out that looked like a garden hose. And they said, now you, the x-rays show you got it, but we just don't know how big. So uh, I said, okay. He said, we're going we're gonna, to, and this was a vascular surgeon. He said, we're going to do a CAT scan, find out how big it is. Well, in the meantime, I come here to the Landmark Apostolic Church, and the ministers prayed for me. Went the next day for the appointment. So I'm all prepared, you know, I'm down. Took a CAT scan and somehow or other, from the time I got prayed for until the time they took the CAT scan, something disappeared. They couldn't find the aneurysm. Now, it, aneurysm just don't disappear. Hey, they just don't. I could, I could, I could, if I told you every miracle that's happened to me, I could write a book. I'm telling you, I should not be standing here alive to this day. Not standing here alive. One time, I like to ride horses. And one time, I was riding a horse, and I knew it was scared of traffic. Never had been off the farm. And it's, oh, here comes a car down the road. I get way off in the field. I'm safe. So that horse danced across that field, back out in the middle of the road, and I'm facing, me and the horse are facing east. Here comes the Jeep Cherokee, just as fast as he could come. And it was so close, I said, I'm, I'm gone. I'm gone. So I closed my eyes and said, Jesus, it seemed like just a couple seconds. I opened my eyes. Now, I don't feel no movement at all, okay? A couple seconds later, I opened my eyes. I'm, me and the horse are facing the west. The Jeep Cherokee's down the road. What happened, I can't tell you because I don't know. But I know who had control. Yes. Amen. I, Annette, and another, I'm going to tell you one more time, and then I'm going to let some, somebody can, that can really talk talk. Um, 
We were, no, I'm going to tell you two more things, okay? <laughs> that, that, that will tell you why if you work for God, do a work for God, God will take care of you, okay? At one time when, there was, when the old church, we had a purple school bus, purple school bus. We was picking up kids with an old school bus. And at that time, down here where the, um, that brick building was, that last road to the right goes behind the bank, up, and then there was a bank on the, there was houses along that road, and it's uphill. We down, we, then there was a house there. We was picking up a, little, a kid there, and he was the last stop, the last kid to let out. We pulled over there, and I let that, that young boy out. Young, I think there was two of them, boy and a girl. Let him out of the bus. Went up that hill, got the stop sign. Put on the brake. There was no brake. was no brake. So we went over the hill, and I managed to get off the curb. But just imagine, had I been coming the other direction, it had been over with. But God, God will take you. And another time, we was, we was taking an elderly couple home. It was night. And uh, it, was, it was night, and we was, we was going to Marissa, taking an elderly couple home from church. And a uh, set of headlights coming on our side of the road. We were so close, so close, that I knew it was my nephew in the other car. It was so close that you could see who was in that vehicle. And uh, you're so close that you could feel the heat off the headlights. So we got off the side of the road. We, you know, <laughs> got off the side of the road, okay? You think, well, hey, they was off the side of the road. That's why they didn't get hit. We went back the next day, and there was no place to get off the road. There was no place to get off the road. So God, if you, if you serve God and stay faithful, God will stay faithful to you. Sometimes... And I thought, well, this is it. Okay. Uh, sometimes, though, you know, like, like Brother I said, sometimes you'll pray. Maybe God don't answer your prayer. You know, when I had, when I had this last stint put in, I had to have a stint put in. He did, I had prayer. But you know what? Sometimes he'll calm the storm, take care of your problem. And sometimes he'll just calm you. Sometimes he'll take care of you. I was so calm that week that I'd had chest pains and, 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 and short of breath for years. But when, he took, when I had prayer that night and before the surgery, I had a whole week. And it, I mean, I could do whatever I wanted to do and didn't have a bit of pain. Well, I'm going to turn this over to the next speaker because I'll tell you what. God is good. And this you won't see a group of young people, good, nice young people like this in church. So get in, get right, and get in the fight. Stand here for hours on end and tell you what I've gone through and, and how God has protected me. But I'm going to start out by saying that I came from a family of 10. And... When you live in, in Sparta with a family of 10, you're already on the wrong side of the tracks. Right. <laughs> it, just, it just wasn't heard of. And um, I can say that I didn't have good parents, and I don't know about... The, the, the day and age now is you might not have both parents in your household, or you know you might just be totally by yourself. And that's the way I felt growing up, that I was by myself because of the family size. <clears throat> and I could tell you that one, one of my earliest memories was waking up and I had been put to bed with my clothes on, waking up and, and being upstairs and I needed to go downstairs to go uh, get my diaper changed. I could remember that as clear as day. And back then, they didn't have pampers. It, it was the cloth diaper. And I remember standing at the top of the stairs, and I had to get to the bottom. 
Now, I, I, I don't, how old are kids when they start to walk? I mean, I was still in, what are they, 12 months old, 15 months old, something like that. Well, I had to be been in that age range, not unless I was really smart and I was only two months old. I don't know. <laughs> but I stood there and I looked down those stairs, and those stairs, just, they just looked so far down there. But I, I had to get downstairs. I had to get my diaper changed. Isn't that something that you would remember something like that? And so the steps were oh, way far apart. So I, I'm, I'm going, yep, can't do that. So I get down. You know how a child would do. They would scoot down the stairs. And I'd go squash, <laughs> squash, <laughs> squash. <laughs> So, <laughs> by the time I got down to the bottom of the stairs, my family had already had been partying all night long. They were up and standing around with their, their bottles of beer in their hands. And they seen me walk in the kitchen and they said, well, she needs her diaper changed. <laughs> well, yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was just one instance and then I'm going to tell you about another one. And I'm building up to something. I hope I got a little bit more than 10 minutes. I, I, could, I could go on all night. but And I'm really not a speaker. I, this is way out of my element. But uh, my, my mother, she, she never picked us up and said she loved us. Or my father either. Not one time have, do I remember that. And when it come time to maybe taking a bath once in a while. It wouldn't be my mother doing it. She'd, she'd corral one of the other kids and say, get him in the bathtub. So apparently, I was in the bathtub, and somebody turned on the scalding hot water. And I, apparently, I was burned bad enough I was in the hospital. I, I don't remember that except for the, the fact that I, I remember being in the hospital. I don't know how old I was, maybe uh, four or five years old. I don't remember. But I remember being in the hospital and my mother peeking around the door and looking at me because I was in an oxygen tent. She wouldn't come in because she didn't want to quit smoking her cigarettes because they wouldn't allow that. But, you know, all these things, you know, you remember all this stuff as you get older and you think, well, how in the world can a parent do that to their child? But in this day and age, it happens all the time. And if you're going through something like that, don't, don't think that you're alone because you're not. Someone else has gone through that and they've made it through. Then there was one time that uh, me and my brother were out in the yard and we were spraying a hose on each other and we got into a fight, which we did a lot, and he grabbed one end of the hose and I had the other. And Now the Carters, they had the cleanest yard in town except for the beer bottles that were out in the front yard. And he pulled on it and my, I, we were barefooted and I, my, I landed right on a, a bottle that was sticking up with the edge. Well, I ran into the house and blood, all I could hear him say, because they were sitting around drinking again, all I could hear him say, well, she's, she's got blood coming through the house. And I went and bandaged, bandaged it up myself, and I didn't go to the doctor. A couple days later, uh, my foot was infected. And they had to take me because you just don't leave an open wound like that. And they said it was turning black. And when you go and you try to get something sewed up like that, no, there's no pain. Uh, they can't shoot you full of stuff because it won't work because it's already infected. So I went through a lot more pain than, than necessary. And there's abuse in, in many different forms. You know, you've got to realize that Everybody has gone through it. You can make it through, too. If you are going through anything, and I, I don't know why I'm saying this tonight. I guess because I've gone through it, you know, and this is what the Lord wants me to say. 
go ahead and talk to somebody. Don't keep it to yourself because it just builds up and builds up. <clears throat> you think nobody loves you. Uh, well, I definitely thought that. And, you know, some in a large family like that, I guess they call it the middle child syndrome or something. You know, you don't get as much attention. And it's not that I wanted attention. I didn't know what love was. You know, you just, you, if you don't experience it, you just don't know what it is. But there are some things that are kind of funny in a, in a family of 10 sometimes. And I like humor. I mean, if anybody knows me, I love humor and I like kidding around. But um, we had a, a, an old ringer washer, you know, back then. And we didn't have a dryer. And you got 10 kids. There's always something in the wash, I'm sure. And it was kept out on the back porch in the wintertime. Well, a lot of the clothes didn't get dried. They got washed, but they, they were still in the tub. So when it came time to get our clothes, we had to go out on the back porch and take them out full of ice, knock them off, and hang them up so they'd be dry. You know, we were people say I'm so independent. Well, why do you think I'm independent? I've had to be independent. And, and you think something like that would be a negative thing, but it's not. It's a positive thing. It builds character, believe it or not. And I can remember feeling unloved. So what do you do when you feel unloved? You either, the, the something, a voice, and, and I know that, the devil wants to take young people out of this world without knowing him. So, so I tried to commit suicide. I went in the bathroom, took out the razor blade, and held it to my wrist. I said, I'm not doing that. That's going to hurt. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. You know, but that's what you see in a violent home. That's what you see You don't if you don't feel any love. Then one night, I was looking out the window. It was a full moon, and it was cold, and I could see the moon coming up over the the woods, and there was no, it was just beautiful. And I prayed, and I said, God, if you're really there, get me out of this mess. Then we had some neighbors that had moved in, and they were the Hickams. I don't know if you guys, I know some of you know them. But um, they went to the Cutler Church. And my mother would never answer the door. Anybody that ever came to the door, she would, she would run and hide, and she would send us kids to the door, and she'd say, uh, you tell them I'm not here. You know, but one day we were sitting in the living room watching TV, and we had a we had a pretty long driveway. We could hear cars coming down. It was a rock road. We could hear cars coming down, and that was the the alarm. My mother would leave, and she, you know, but this one day we were sitting there, and we heard footsteps on the front porch. It was too late for her to leave. <laughs> she was sitting there. She was caught. And it was uh, Sister Rodenbush and, and Doris Hickam had come by the house and asked us if, or asked my mom if us kids could go to church. Well, you know, when Sister, I, I know some of you know Sister Rodenbush, but she, when she entered that room, I wanted to be adopted. 
because you know you could feel love coming from her I did I I went and I said but after I went I said I'm not going back those people are crazy I'm not having nothing to do with it <laughs> and I know I think is that brother Jones has said that too you know not going back then you know later on as I got into my teen years I said you know one Sunday I said I'm gonna go I'm just I'm gonna go and that Sunday I repented and I was baptized and eventually I got the Holy Ghost you know people say you know you seek after the Holy you don't really have to seek after the Holy Ghost uh, it, it comes to you when you totally worship him it's you don't you don't seek after tongues you're you seek his spirit to enter you to give you strength and it's real it's what keeps us from day to day after I got the Holy Ghost and then they told me I got to go to heaven I said you mean to tell me I'm gonna go to heaven after I I feel so good now and you're telling me I get to go to heaven too this is amazing I'm not you know this is just really something I was only 13 or 14 years old at the time so it's been like 52 years and I still feel young <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I'll take anybody on at the golf course. <laughs> but, you know, that's just a very short summary. Very, God has just protected me and performed so many miracles in my life. And, and, and you know, I don't hold anything against, I forgave my parents a long time ago because they need to be saved too and if we don't forgive God's not going to forgive us now my advice to the young people you are I'm glad you're here tonight <laughs> uh, work hard at whatever you do to be a good example don't take advantage of people Expect to be criticized for your dress and Christian walk. It will turn into respect because they're going to see you wherever you're at. You'll, you won't realize until somebody starts coming to you and they'll say, hey, I almost OD'd last night. Why, why do you not want to do drugs? What's, what do you got that I don't have? You can dress right, but you better wear it right, because you can't wear you can't dress like this and not really be the real thing. Be separate. You're called out to be different and to stand out in the crowd. Try to be mature for your age. Study your Bible. Pray for wisdom. And I'm going to leave this scripture with you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory now the word sealed there means in the greek or harabhan and what it means is putting down an earnest payment a deposit and a claim on us the first installment on his full inheritance in us I don't know about you, but when I put a deposit down on something, I expect to buy it. 
I expect it to be what I want. And if it doesn't end up being what I want, I won't go get it. I am waiting to be picked up out of this world because he has put in me, he has put down on me a deposit. And I know he's going to pick me up one of these days. Praise the Lord. Brother Glenn, come right on ahead. Well, I thank the Lord for hearing my wife testify. That's part of my testimony. Before I, before I speak, and I won't be very long, I want to read something. Now, my wife had gotten me to buy glasses that I could see with all the time, and like a knucklehead, I lost them. And those of you that have heard me speak, I don't know where these are going to end up because these are my cheaters, as they call them. But I want to read just a few verses, and then I want to just talk a, a short time. From the book of Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, the 10th through the 12th verse, the Lord speaks unto us this, unto us. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. As a little boy in the home that I grew up with, I did have loving parents, and I'm thankful for that. And they did go to a church, but the churches that my parents chose to go to didn't give altar calls, didn't preach about sin, didn't even talk about being saved, which is amazing, I'm sure, to many of you that there would even be such a place where they don't even talk about being saved. It was assumed that you would be saved. But there was one thing that I do remember from that, I'm going to go on with this, was one song in particular. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Over the years after that, I idealized my parents' marriage because they really loved one another, and they had a beautiful marriage. And I wanted, from the, from the time I was a little boy, I looked forward to being married and having a loving relationship like they had. That's what, that was my vision of love. But you know something? As I got older and began to get to the age where I began to date, that wasn't the vision of what I was beginning to see around me. And in fact, about that time, I began to notice parents of my friends in the neighborhood began getting divorces. Well, that shook me. I didn't think, I hadn't thought about that. And uh, for me in my life, I looked forward to being married, finding the right person for me, being married and having a lifelong love. But when I found her, or thought I did, in high school, it didn't work out. And I couldn't have imagined that relationship ending like it did. And I remember a time when I was exceedingly heartbroken. Uh, I was away at college. I felt like I had been left on, the, on a desert island all by myself. I didn't think that I didn't feel like anybody even knew that I existed. And it was at that time that something happened 
where the Lord, now I was a sinner and I was a sinner. Some of the things that I was doing back then, if the police had just looked in the car, I probably would have ended up in jail because I had things in the car that I shouldn't have been using or doing. But anyway, I was heartbroken. The reason that I thought I was living for was gone forever. I didn't have trouble dating after that, but I didn't have any confidence in love in this world. And in a heartbroken state, I broke down. I could not hardly breathe. And this is one time that the Lord, before I was saved, spoke to me. And after he did, now I knew it was, in a sense, I knew it was him, but I didn't know very much except now in hindsight. When I was that far down, he was thinking about me. He was thinking about me. About two years later, I had something happen that uh, I'm thankful for a mom that did know the Lord, even though they weren't going to any kind of good church. And when there would be any crisis, she would pray until she heard from God, and then she would tell me about it. Now, I believe that Jesus loved me, but I thought you had to go, had to die before you knew it. I didn't know you could know God. There wasn't anything around me that let me know that. But she saw her wayward son high and drunk all the time and doing things, and she got scared, and she prayed, and she prayed until the Lord spoke to her and said, I have blessed you, and I shall bless you again. And from that point forward, I got worse. But I didn't care about drugs. I didn't care about getting high. That was a social thing. The thing that I had looked for, I didn't think I had any ability to even love anybody in, anymore. And I will never forget, uh, this was the night after actually getting high on LSD, and uh, my dad made me go to their church the next day, and uh, I didn't want to go because I felt like I was damned. Now, I didn't even know what that, I felt like God didn't love me, that I, I wasn't anything that he would ever want. But dad made me go to church and I trembled through that service. And that day, that minister didn't, it wasn't what he preached, it was what he read. He read from Luke, the first, the fifth chapter, the 10th verse, First through the fifth verse, excuse me. But he talked about, he read about how Jesus said unto Simon Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Simon said, I have toiled all night and not caught anything, but at your word, I'll let down the net. And after this, he enclosed such a great multitude of fishes that he couldn't even bring them all in. And I heard Jesus in the word of God for the first time in my life I had been looking for something beautiful and deep in the shallow water but I had never come to God and I felt the presence of the Lord around me and I felt so much love but heartbreak with it and I began to break down I knew I I knew I had never come to God and the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, you thought you could find love. And in this, I felt him say, but you never came to me. And I began to bawl, Brother Rice. Now, this is not the kind of church that even gave altar calls, so I don't know what they thought about this. I busted loose and bawled. And then he said to me this, he said, you thought you were deep. Now I was vain. I think I've said this in another message, but back then I had long hair. Now I don't have any. <laughs> but uh, if, there if I went by a mirror or by a window that had a reflection, I was looking in it. <laughs> I, but, 
But the thing I want to tell you is, at that moment, I realized the only difference between me and dirt on the ground is the way we're packaged. I'm dust. I'm nothing. When we die, we go back to dust. All dirt is is decomposed dead things. But Jesus loves me. And he loves you. And we can know him. After that service, I drove around in my little car and I looked up and it seemed like, Brother Rice, it seemed like I would look up in the corner right there while I'm driving. And it seemed like he was right there. And I'd say, Lord, there is something more than going to church on Sunday and feeling good and being miserable all the rest of the week. But I don't know where it is. And that next week, I came to Southern Illinois University, the number 16 party school in the whole country. And I was there for only a matter of a few days, and something happened, and, and I want to tell you about it. I was walking across campus on a Thursday afternoon between the brush towers. If you've been to SIU, you see those tall apartment buildings kind of in, on one side of the campus. I was walking right through them in the middle of an afternoon, and in the distance, I heard somebody singing. Now, I was, I was feeling pretty down and out, and I stopped, and I heard that person singing, and they were singing like a bird. Have you ever seen a metal lark sing? They lean back, and their heart, they sing from their heart. And I stopped, and I couldn't, this person was far enough away, I couldn't hear what they were singing. But I thought, that guy's got a really nice voice. I'm going to tell him how, what a good voice he's got. So I stood there, and when I looked off in the distance and he came into view, he was a young black guy walking down the sidewalk toward me, and he was singing about Jesus. And he was singing in love with Jesus. And he didn't care where he was. He didn't care who heard him he was loving Jesus and Jesus was loving him and I began to feel something that I hadn't felt for a couple of years I did one time have somebody pray for me and I felt the love of God when he did but as this young man in the middle of the afternoon is walking down the sidewalk I begin to feel that love again and he got as close to me as that lectern is and I said you have a nice voice. And he said, thank you. And he kept on singing and walking as if I had never stopped him at all. And I wasn't about to let him get away. Whatever that was that I could feel in that love that was around him, my heart was like, now that's what I want. And I got him to come back to me and he invited me to church. And on a Tuesday night, following Tuesday we were walking to church now I want to tell you something before I say this next thing you're young people this young man was 17 he was a young freshman in college he had gotten saved when he was about five he was called into the ministry when he was nine now he's 17 he's walking with Jesus Jesus is evident in his life even to someone like me out in the middle of Southern Illinois University out in the middle of everywhere we're walking to church and he turns to me and he said I prayed to you and do you know what Jesus told me now if you want to get somebody's attention if the Lord tells you something about them and you tell them what the Lord told you, that will probably get their attention. And I said, what did he tell you? And he said, you're going to receive a wonderful blessing of the Holy Ghost tonight. And I was terrified. I had no idea what that meant. But he seemed very peaceful, very calm. So I figured I'm going to like this, I guess. But God used everybody in that church. I came into this church with my long hair and my tight pants and my shirt that looked like you could have plugged it into the wall and it would have flashed and glowed. I was dressed all right for girls. 
I wasn't dressed for church. And I come into this church and all the men have white shirts on or conservative dress with short hair. All the ladies have long hair and dresses. I'm from Northern Illinois. I've heard of rednecks. I don't know where I am. He's a black guy. He's the only one. I'm thinking, well, they might not like me. They might not like him either. I don't know. But here's the thing. People would use, the Lord would use different ones in the congregation. They would come over to me. They were so kind. They would calm me down. And we're sitting up in the third pew. And there's a little grandmother across the, ro uh, the road, across the way from me. And we're singing the song, and all of a sudden I hear somebody say, Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Lord. And I look over at her, and I look at the book, and that's not the words. And she's got her arms raised, and I think, Well, this is really pretty neat. And I tried to get mine up. They went that high. But this is my point. Jesus was, had been thinking about me. Jesus knows us. When he was on the cross, we were on his mind. This is all personal with him. This is all personal. I didn't know that I could know God in this life. I didn't have purpose in my life because the love that I had been looking for wasn't anything I could count on. But on that day, which was on August 30th, 41 years ago, this, this August, at a certain point in the service, I realized that God was in there, that he was holy, and I wasn't. And this day wasn't going to be like any I'd ever remember, or ever, ever forget. Something was about to happen. But I didn't know what. And the Lord drew me to that altar. And I personally came unworthy, raised my hands, held up my dirty heart to Jesus Christ. And he, began, he gave me an experience of the love that he had for me. And the only bad thing about the whole experience was at 1230 that night, when I came to my senses again and my tears were running down in my shirt and I knew that I was coming back to myself and I didn't want to and I was crying, no, 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 because I didn't want him to stop. And there were just two ministers left in that church with me and they wanted to lock the doors. They should have just locked me in. I didn't know that I could know him. But for 41 years... I have gotten to know him, and he has not changed. And I want to tell you one more thing. Now, from the time I first got saved, Brother Tony, that young black minister, was the one that led me to the Lord. He would shout and dance. Well, it felt real good when I'd get happy, so I did it too. Glory to God. And one time, one of those older brothers came to me and he said, Brother Glenn, I love to see you worship and, and, and on fire like that. But he said, after a while, you're going to cool off. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. I don't know when that's going to happen. <laughs> now I want to tell you the last part of this I have purpose in my life I know him I am his witness we are his witnesses now the Bible says he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him I want to tell you young people that have given your life to Jesus, prayer is a wonderful thing. Get to know him. Get to know his word because that's your anchor. When things don't seem to be going good, they'll bring the word back to your memory and you'll have an anchor in him. Glory to God. But this is the last thing I want to tell you about. I told you that when I was young, I'd look forward to being married. I'd look forward. To, that was my vision of lifelong love. I told the Lord after I got saved, Lord, if I ever get married, you're going to have to show me because I have no confidence in my ability to choose a wife. 
And over those years, from time to time, I would pray about different people, and the Lord would tell me no. (laughs) I had about pretty much given up on any thought of that. But I want to tell you something. In the world that we think about finding the one, the one, do you know something? I married the one because Jesus showed me glory to God glory to God and I have a treasure I have a treasure first in Jesus and I have a treasure of a companion glory to God every good and perfect thing cometh down from the father of lights in him is no variableness neither shadow of a turning the blessing of the Lord it maketh rich and he adds no sorrow with it